If you know me, I'm pretty big on making things that actually generate income for you instead of just like dilly dallying around and like doing like little things that you should not be doing. Because if it's like not making you money, not making you smarter, and if you're not helping somebody else, then like what the are you doing? You're listening to Untamed, a podcast dedicated to empowering you, the lash artist, while providing insights on how to achieve success that is as individual and unique as you are. Each episode, me, Cheryl, and me, Anne-Marie, share our best information openly, without reservation. We discuss challenges, best practices, and what the future holds for the lash industry. So grab a snack and your comfiest sweater, and get ready to geek out with your new lash BFFs. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe! The following episode is rated R due to coarse language and controversial industry opinions. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Untame. Today we have another special guest with us. I'm always so excited when we get guests on our podcast. So today I want to welcome Carol. Hi, Carol. Hello. How's it going, everyone? So good. So excited to have you on. I am so So, excited excited. to be here. This will be so fun. We have so much stuff to talk about. Absolutely. So to start this podcast off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Last Chance Artistry? Yes. So my name is Carol. I am the owner of Last Chance Artistry. I have been in the industry for too long. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've been in the industry for five years. I am originally from Estonia. For the ones that are listening, maybe you're from somewhere else. I'm from Estonia. Moved to the States when I was 15. And just to give you a little bit of background of my last journey, I started off in Connecticut where we didn't have any regulations, nothing like that. Took a bunch of certifications. I think I have taken eight courses. Fast forward, had my cute little studio in Connecticut, moved out to Arizona. I've traveled and trained. I have an online program now. I do mentoring and I mainly just focus on new lash artists that are coming into the industry that really need help, you know, just getting on the right path in the industry and just understanding all the steps that they need to take to actually have a a successful business without all the fluff. Wow. You and I were kind of similar. I was also born and raised in China, so I came to... North America when I was 14. So it's really interesting. Like, I feel like I don't meet a lot of people who immigrate around the age of like teen. So whenever I meet one, I'm just like, Yes, it was definitely rough. It was probably still like the hardest thing that I've done because I didn't speak any English, zero, like nothing at all. So, you know, learning that and just learning a whole new country and just it was a culture shock to say the least. Yeah, that's so admirable. It can't be easy. Well, there's so much that I wanted to dig in with you. I think that from what I'm hearing, your story, it's constantly like a pattern of perseverance. Would you say that? Yes. So you work so hard to reach your goal and you're sharing your journey with other people and you don't gatekeep any information. I think that that's one of the things that's extremely admirable. And I just want to take a moment and just say thank you for, I don't know, I'm just here self proclaim representing the industry to say a huge (laughs) thank you because whenever I see someone who's so generous and decide not to gatekeep any information I just feel like that's one of the most admirable quality that I look for in anyone like in our industry especially as an educator you know so 
For sure. I think too, like I see this often, but there's more than enough to go around, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's always going to be more than enough to go around. And I think there's a weird misconception at times that if you give away too much quote unquote free information that people are just going to like run with it. But we totally forget the other side of the coin that you have to do the work. Like you can take the information and you actually have to do the work to get to, you know, where you want to be. So yeah, absolutely. And the funniest thing is most of the time you can hand these information out for free to people, but it takes execution. Correct. Most people aren't going to take that execution, especially if they haven't paid for that education because there isn't that endowment effect, right? They haven't like paid for something. So it's a nice to have information in the back of their pocket. But I think that once someone really wants to commit to it, they always choose the pay route when it comes to education. Of course, there's a difference between investing in, you know, your goals and dreams and what you want to achieve and then just picking information from different people, different educators, like different programs when you don't really have your heart and soul invested in it. Yeah. Well, before we dive into who you are now, I wanted to like just backtrack a little bit. So from your story, I know that you made that move from Connecticut to Arizona. So it's extremely difficult because you gave up all your clientele in Connecticut. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into how you ended up building that clientele and what was that journey like to go from an established business to kind of start from scratch again? So my little naive self, so I'll backtrack a little bit. Like I said before, so in Connecticut, we didn't really have a requirement for licensing. It's a little bit different now. And when I decided that I wanted to move, I literally woke up one morning. I was like, it's freaking cold here. And my business was at a point where my books were full. I was training. I was doing all the things, but just the demographic that I was capped out financially. I was at my max, right? And I just knew that I was able to grow more. And I knew that there was more out there for me. So I literally looked up esthetician schools to go to just to get my license. So what I did... Because it wasn't just that I moved across country, like it started way before even that. I woke up one morning, I was like, okay, this is it. Looked at schools to go to. Two weeks later, enrolled. I was like almost just like capped off, just decided that's exactly what I was going to do. Cut down my days. I went to school full time and it was out in Rhode Island. So I'm from Connecticut. If you're you know familiar with East Coast, the states are pretty small. So, you know, getting across state, it's not like Texas and Arizona. But it was every morning, it was a 45 minute commute, five days a week there and back. So I did that from January of 2019 to May. I graduated early because that's like the only time I've ever been an overachiever in my life because I hated that place and I wanted to get out of there as soon as I could. (laughs) I was there for the paper, right? Like I didn't want to do skincare. I didn't want to do any of those things. And then literally a month later, I graduated. I packed up all of my shit and I just drove across country. And so what I ended up doing, just if anyone ever wants to make that step and wants to do that, I am really grateful that I planned it the way I did. I paid three months of all of my expenses up front. So I paid my car payment, I paid my rent, like I just all of my bigger bills that I had for like three months, so I could really just focus on getting out there and establishing clientele. So that way I wasn't that stressed because it was just me, myself and I, right? Like I didn't move with anyone. I didn't know anyone out here besides the internet friends or, you know, Instagram friends that I made out here with the industry girls. And I'm actually good friends with them till this day. So I paid off all my credit card. I made the payments in advance, moved out here and I was so excited. And I like, I'll never forget this. I was just so excited because, you know, in my head, I was like Connecticut, like this place is trash. 
I get here and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, what did I do? I'm like, I don't know anyone out here. I have no support. And I would just had this moment of, oh, fuck. I royally fucked up. I was only taking clients and I was training, but it was just like on the East Coast. So that's kind of when I sat down and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do in order to make this work to have, you know, the business that I had in Connecticut? And the basics and the principles are always going to be the same when you build a business and when you build a clientele. I firmly believe that you should be treating, if you have one client or 10 clients, you should really be treating it like it's your only client and the best client in the world that you've ever had in your entire life, even if they're not. So that's kind of how it started off with, and we'll get into my program too, but that's where the Dream Client Machine program became about it's really when I figured out of all the things that I could do to build my clientele so I can kind of like go into that as well but do you guys have any questions so far I just want to say again I'm just extremely impressed like that (laughs) move seems so I think to some people they would call it spontaneous but to me I think it's so courageous like you decided to act and you decided to act fast and it's like you act fast but you had a plan as well And like, I bet everything on myself. So even like Mm. with me growing up, that's the one thing that I have always, I'll pat myself on the back. It's like, I've always got myself. I've always trusted myself. I've always believed in myself that I have it in me to do all the things that I set out to do with, with courage, with determination to just research or do whatever that I need to do to get to the point that I want to be at. I want to double click on that. I wanted to see, just kind of dig a little bit, if you don't mind, it might get personal, you can choose not to answer this question as well. But I want to dig a little bit deeper and see where did that come from? Where is that belief of yourself? How did you learn even at such a young age to always bet on yourself? Did that was that inspired by somebody? Was that taught to you? So to give you a little bit background of the way I grew up. So obviously, for one, I'm not from the States. And we grew up poor. So My grandmother was the person that took care of me. My mom was a beautiful person. They're both past at this point. So just me, myself, and I. And even growing up, I was always the one that like took care of my mom. I was always the one that had to grow up fast and just really like figure out life for myself just because there was nobody that was going to come and save me. So I started working when I was 14. I worked under the table. That's where like the hustle came from because it was survival. It's like pure survival of making sure that I don't end up like my mom did to make sure that I don't end up like my grandmother did or just that pattern. Like I really wanted to break the generational curse of being poor, having a poor mindset, not being able to do anything, just having that limiting belief that you need to work nine to five and like that's all there is to life and you get to take a vacation once a year. Like I was like, fuck that. I don't believe in that. Like I know that there's more I want more so that's exactly what I did so that's when I started working super young and kind of how I paved the path for myself of success and even with lashes when I got into lashes it was pure like a nudge because I've been getting my lashes done for years at this point I don't have any on right now but everyone kept on telling me that you know you should go for it I'm like hell no I'm like I don't even know how to put on makeup like (laughs) I can't even braid my hair like what makes you think that I even want to be part of the beauty industry so When I got pushed into that, I still remember till this day, I worked at a diner and I just told myself that I was going to punch my own time clock. One way I was going to figure out what I was going to do and fast forward seven years later, like that's where I'm at. So, Wow. Thanks for sharing that, like such a personal story with us. And yeah, I think I see it now. I see where that (laughs) 
perseverance and I see where that determination and like that courage, you're right. Like it's our survival, but sometimes these are the beautiful things, characters that we grow out of the circumstances that we're put in, you know? So. Absolutely. And that's why I don't believe in, we'll get into like the social media of it too, but I firmly believe in working hard, but also working smart. And you and I would like touch on the whole hustle culture, but I feel like you still need to have the perseverance Mm -hmm. and just the determination to get all the things that you want out of your life, regardless of what the background is, because it's up to you to kind of make it happen at the end of the day. Nobody else is going to come and save you. And even if they do, it won't be as sweet as you getting it on your own. So we talked a lot about like a little bit about like your personal story, your personal move and some of those struggles, but what difficulties did you face building a new clientele in a completely new area? And then how did you overcome those? So I got a pretty big humble pill when I got to Arizona. So in my little own naive slash maybe cocky mind, I was like, okay, I'm pretty fucking good at lashes. I can isolate, I can place, I can style my work. It was good. I did true Russian volume. I've taken the trainings. I understand. So I get out here and I was like, oh, it doesn't matter how good I think I am, huh? Because that's not even the demographic here. It was all mega volume 0.03. So that's what the demographic is. Arizona, Scottsdale, (laughs) it's big, bold, and beautiful. You should be seeing lashes from 10 miles away. If you don't, it doesn't fucking exist. So I get out here and I quickly realized that I was not going to build my clientele with true Russian volume with 0.06, 0.07, that it was going to be mega volume. So if you are planning on moving across country, (laughs) please do your research to see what your demographic is so you don't get blindsided like I did. But that was my big slap in the face. I was like, took me from like seven to three. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, here we go again. (laughs) Let's learn something new. So that's exactly what I did. My good friend, Allie, Lash Anarchist, I took her Layer Slayer class and she just handed me some point of threes, tweezers. She's like, this is how I pinch. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that, I don't, what? It was just like not happening for me. So I also, uh, to like a little bit backtrack, I worked at Lash Bomb for doing front desk when Lash Bomb like had a, a bigger studio space in Scottsdale. So they had a retail store. They had a, well, they still have a retail store. But anyways, I did front desk a couple days a week just to make some extra money so I wasn't blowing through my savings. And that's literally all of those hours I practiced pinching. I practiced pinching for probably like a hundred hours before it made sense and before I got it. But kind of go back to, you know, building clientele. So if you're making that move, just make sure that you understand that the demographic that you're moving into. But one of my biggest challenges was for one, my whole following was on the East Coast. So I didn't have a big following here. People didn't know me here. Whenever you move somewhere new, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to have to prove yourself over and over again until you build that credibility up in your city all over again, regardless of where you come from, regardless of how good you are. But my biggest thing, I think, or like the biggest struggle that I had was like learning a whole new style in in order for me to actually take clients. I can't even imagine because we know what we specialize in and we often talk about building business off of your strengths, but sometimes your strength isn't what the area wants. I can't even imagine if I just woke up tomorrow Mm -hmm. and all my clients said, oh, it's mega volume or nothing. What? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. (laughs) I think this is such a good lesson here for like those who are listening to know that like we talked about this briefly before. It's about building your business around your clients and not making your client fit your business. And you did a great example of this, right? Like your strength was clearly something else, but you weren't trying to like 
fold mm-hmm. your clients into a pretzel and say, no, I only do this. And I see a lot of this in our industry is this inflated ego of this mm-hmm. is what I'm good at. You must do accept right. my service as what I'm good at rather than you know, this is what you need. Okay, I'm a service provider. I'm going to learn what you need so I can provide for your needs. So there's this something is wrong with that narrative here in the industry that I feel like we really need to touch on that. For sure. And I think it's great to specialize in something, right? Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with specializing in what you're good at. That's one thing. However, if you are not willing to branch out and just kind of push yourself as a service provider and as a business owner in general to really just provide the best care or the best service to what the client is seeking, I feel like for one, you're going to also miss out on revenue or just potential growth within yourself and within your business being able to provide something entirely different. I think there's this like misconception that once you like learn volume or mega volume or classic, then that's kind of end all be all. But there's, you know, so much else that goes into, you know, lashing and doing different styles and just being able to push yourself out of that comfort zone too. And like I said, (laughs) moving out to Arizona, not that it only pushed me out of my bubble, but it just really pushed me as a service provider and just as a business owner to look at the bigger picture. Well, you touch on like a few of the things that you did to gain more clients, but let's put your educator hat on. Could you give our listener just the top tips, like the key takeaways that you had from building new clients just so that they can, it's more easy for them to digest? What are some of the top tips? For sure. Absolutely. So first and foremost, before even going into building clientele and having somebody come and lay on your table, you need to make sure that you're visible in all platforms. So what I mean by that is Instagram, if you have a Facebook business page, Google business page, Yelp business page, just so you are actually searchable. And everything needs to be cohesive from your Instagram name to your Google name to your like Facebook name, all of that needs to flow together nicely so people can actually look you up. Now, obviously showing up on social media. So this is something that I teach because that's how I built my clientele was basically like strictly off of social media. And obviously it was word of mouth too, but my first clients that I got through the door was through Instagram. So that's what what my strong suit is. But what I really quickly learned when I got to Arizona was it's not about pretty pictures. It's not about posting lash work and just showcasing your work. You need to put yourself in your client's shoe. If you were a service provider, so this is what I ask all of my students. If you were somebody that was looking to go and get a service done, would you go to you to get that service done? Like if you landed on your Instagram page, would you book a service based off of what you see on your page? If you're even slightly hesitating, you know that there's a problem, right? So when it comes to creating content that actually speaks to potential clients, of course, you're going to showcase your work, but it needs to be more about what the client wants to see. So what I mean by that is you should be walking through the experience that your client is going to have when they come to you. So what does your studio space look like? How do you put lashes on? Like, what do you do? Like, what goes into your business basically like visually so your client can see before they even get there? And another huge thing is actually showing your face. So I speak pretty heavily about being present in your business and just showing up as you are, not as what other people want to see you as. Because I, when I have these coaching calls, you know, the first thing I always get is like, I don't really know what I should be posting. And I'm like, okay, let's break it down. So if you were going and getting a hair treatment done, what is going to make you book with that person? 
So I think when you ask those like deeper questions, it's not like I don't believe anything surface level. I think surface like level is garbage. I want you to dive deeper and just really understand the like psychology behind and what you're doing and why you're doing it. So definitely being present or being visible on all the platforms, curating content that actually speaks to your client. And it's not like boring ass fucking captions that you're like 0.03 CC curl six through 12. What the fuck does that even mean? Your client doesn't understand that. It needs to be like, hey, if you have hooded eyes, this is what I can do for you. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, okay. I have hooded eyes. So this is what it's going to look like. Amazing. So it's just like completely like switching the narrative to putting yourself in client shoe. So that's like the the biggest takeaway that I have when it comes to building clientele. Oh, I absolutely love that. And I know you put together a supported mentorship style course to help stylists who are struggling with exactly what we're talking about, gaining and maintaining clients. So can you tell everyone about your dream client machine? I always get so weird when people ask me that. I don't know why because I'm so (laughs) proud of the program. I think it's fucking amazing not to toot my own horn, but I put the program together. First of all, so when I moved to Arizona, I had to learn all of these things. Everything that is in my program is something that I had to do in order to gain the clientele. So it's not fluff. It's not surface level bullshit that I'm just going to tell you to post like pretty pictures and that's like what you do. But I put the program together for newer lash artists. That's my jam. I love new babies. They're not corrupted. <laughs> they're pliable they, they want information right they want information then they're curious to learn so but I put the program together because there was this big disconnect between having a successful business and understanding how to get it and understanding what it actually means to have full books and like the finances behind having a business. I think there's this like misconception that if you just like have full books in your work five days a week, taking five clients a day, like boom, all of a sudden you make 100K and like life is great. <laughs> there's just, you know, <laughs> so much more that goes into having a successful business. So in the Dream Client Machine, I teach how to gain clientele, everything that goes into it. I teach you how to show up on social media if that's how you want to build your clientele. And I think social media is probably the best way to get in front of an audience. And then about the 30% of the program is finances. I go into taxes. I talk about like savings account, like high yield savings account, kind of what you can do as a service provider to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success and you're just not working client to client, paycheck to paycheck. Cause you know, it's quick to see that money come in. And we all know you have those days that you make a shitload of money and you're like, whoop to do, like where the fuck yeah. am I going to go spend this at? When, you know, it's like 50% of it, it's taxes, it's investment. And just like having that mindset of investing back into your business. And it's not just right now, it's five years down the line, line what you should be doing. So that's what Dream Client Machine is about. And that's really what I focus heavily on. Yeah, I love that. Like we get to be the opportunity for, I find a lot of artists in our industry dive into trainings and educations without really doing their homework on what the course is really about, who the educator is really about. So I love that we have this opportunity to almost do like an educator test drive for our listener to really kind of get to know A, who is the educator behind this program and what your intentions Mm -hmm. are and what your journey and how you came to the conclusion that you came to with the program you build, but also really getting to kind of see like your intentions and your visions for the program so yeah those of you who are listening and struggling with gaining clients like I very honest on this podcast all the time and I talk about this I've never been a very successful lash artist like I think not to toot my own horn I'm a pretty good (laughs) lash artist 
but I've never been that like fully booked six figure mash artist ever because I think that's an area that I didn't do a lot of work in attracting clients and all of that. So if I was a newbie, I definitely sign up for your course. And obviously too, like if you know anything about me, if you've been, you know, following me for like some time, my DMs are always open. I'm pretty straightforward with any kind of questions you always have. I will never sugarcoat anything just because I don't want to be taught like that. Like I want you to give it to me straight. And that's exactly how I am as well with all of my responses. Sometimes I get critical feedback or, you know, people might not be too happy because it's not what they want to hear, but it is what it is. (laughs) You know what? You're doing you and that's all that matters. And I think authenticity is the most important. If I had to wrap up marketing, if I can only give one tip, it would be authenticity. It's either Mm -hmm. authenticity or consistency. But I would rather choose authenticity (laughs) over consistency because I have a hard time with consistency. But, you know, I think... Speaking of hard time with consistency, you and I actually had a little conversation behind the scene before, a little bit about burnout and overwhelm and things like that. We've obviously heard so far the story has been, you know, you persevere and you're very strong and very courageous and you kind of just like punch through all the difficulties. But do you mind if we dig a little deeper and you share with us a little bit about what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? Because that's inevitable in the industry. Of course. And the longer period of time that you're in the industry, the more you kind of learn about yourself for one, how you are as a business owner and the things that you need in order to take a break or what that means to you. Like, I don't believe personally in fucking bubble baths and like, you know, having a glass of wine, like that's all like fine and Gucci. But when it actually comes down to figuring out why you're overwhelmed or like what you need to do to like make sure that operations is running smooth, like where are you spending maybe too much time or where can you maybe cut back time or where maybe you can just hand off different tasks. But like for me personally, whenever I'm overwhelmed and it still happens, I've been in it for five, six years, like I still get overwhelmed. But normally, and this is kind of a hard pill to swallow, but whenever you're overwhelmed, it just means that you're like either lacking in putting the proper systems in place for your business and understanding what you need to do in order not to be overwhelmed. So it's probably because you're trying to have 1004 different tasks on your table, you do a little bit each task, and then you're like, nothing is getting done, because you're not being proactive with the tasks that need to be done first. So I think... That's normally so I I really take a step back and I'm like, okay, like, what is like the first thing that needs to get done? That's like, okay, SOS, like if this doesn't get done, like the world is going to burn down. So dramatic, I know. So I I figured that out first. I'm like, okay, so this is the task. What's after that? And then what's after that? I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do that first. I'm able to take a step back, kind of have a new game plan and just plow through. That's normally what I do now. And maybe I'll have a glass of wine and cry about it, but keep on pushing through. (laughs) I love that. It's like prioritizing (laughs) and time management. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no amount of self-care is going to get rid of things that you are overwhelming yourself with, that you're not addressing and putting systems in place or fixing that big stressor. So I think there's a good balance of both. I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, that was the biggest thing for me last year to learn. And like, you know, Cheryl and I, we like talked about it too. I I was just running myself thin of trying to do all the things. And finally, I ended up getting a coach. I'm like, okay, like, what do we actually need to do to like push my business forward? Because I think we do a lot of empty tasks, a lot of busy tasks that don't really make us money. And like, if you know me, I'm pretty big on making things that actually generate income for you instead of just like dilly dallying around and like doing like little bullshit things that you should not be doing. Because if it's like not making you money, not making you smarter, and if you're not helping somebody else, then like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) 
Actually, so I just heard what you said there that you found a coach for yourself too.、Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for us to just dive in this topic because I think a lot of listeners are probably listening that my career trajectory in the lash industry is full book of business, and then I become a mentor, I become a coach, and then maybe I start a brand. But I like what you're saying about you having a coach. I want to know a what led you to wanting to find a coach. Like if you can share a little bit more on that, and then secondly. What is your philosophy around having mentor and coaches, even for yourself, who is a mentor and a coach? So I've taken a bunch of programs outside of lashing. It has been business oriented. It has been marketing oriented, like branding oriented, all of those things. So this is my third coach. And the other two coaches that I had, they were great. I learned specific things. It was marketing. It was whatever. But this time around, I just really realized that I didn't have proper systems in place for my business.、Mm. I understand how to do all the things. Like I understand marketing. Like I understand content. I understand social media. Like I understand finances. But I, I didn't have the systems in place for like things to run smoothly. So for anyone that is listening, a lash class is not gonna cut it. Three、mm-hmm. lash classes is not gonna cut it. You can take. All the lash classes until the day you die. But if you don't take business classes, if you do not take classes that is actually going to move your business forward, and like for you to understand marketing and understand what it means to have a successful business and understand the systems and you go into it even more, your business may be a controversial opinion. But just because you're good at lashes does not mean you're good at business. Louder, right? Just because you have full books. Doesn't mean that you're a good business owner. Just、mm-hmm. because you have a great Instagram profile does not mean you're a good business owner. Like there's just so much stuff that goes in like the back end of it. I know lash artists that are booked out, making six figures a year, broke as fuck, right? Because they just like simply cannot manage their finances, and that's just like not shaming. But nobody teaches us this shit. Like nobody teaches us this. Like even in like college, unless you like you know finance and a major in finance or anything like that. But all of those things don't come into picture until like year three. You're like, wait a fucking minute. Like what am I doing? Like what is happening? So、yeah. you should definitely have somebody that mentors you, somebody that you look up to, and if you are looking for a coach, the questions that I would always ask, like if I am like reaching out to a mentor. First of all, you need to ask yourself, what do you need help with? What is it actually that you need help with? Because there's a lot of niches when it comes to coaches. So, do you actually need、mm-hmm. like help with content and social media? Like, is that the coach that you need, or is it finances and management for your business? Is that the coach that you need? Is it systems for your business? Is that the coach you need? So, you need to figure out what kind of support you're looking for before you even are like, oh, like I should get a coach. Like, really figure out what is it that you need help with before you even reach out to anyone. So, it's like diagnose before you prescribe. Right. Right? Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, I think this goes back to your story way earlier about how like financial literacy is unfortunately for the most part in our generation at least. Are taught by our parents,、mm-hmm. so most of us are first generation entrepreneur.、Mm-hmm. Our parents aren't entrepreneurs,、mm-hmm. so all of those financial literacy that you're talking about that relates to running a business, making good decisions, and all of this, like we're not equipped with these information. So that's why I totally with you a hundred percent on this. You can take a million lash courses, you can be the best lash artist in the world, and it does not mean that you're going to be a profitable business,、right. and it does not mean that. Your business is going to grow and scale, so it's really looking at where are the pain points in your business and where are the bottlenecks, and really try to solve relevant problem instead of constantly just getting. I like to call them like trophy certificates. Right, right. <laughs> I'm here stirring the pot again. 
as usual. I mean, honestly, all of us love, 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 love controversial topics. And so I just kind of want to ask Carol, because you already are bringing them in. And I love it. What is your most controversial opinion on the lash industry right now? I don't know if it would just be in the lash industry, but service provider industry in general. Mm -hmm. It's the toxic female empowerment. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Okay. I need to know more. Okay. (laughs) My headphones are on very well. Okay. Do explain. Okay. So what I see in... Okay. So nobody hate me for this. Don't worry. Safe safe place here. I'm really glad that I'm able to like speak on this. So I see this so often where women are assholes. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but there's so many educators in the beauty industry that are just like not nice. Mm. And when it comes to calling people out and being like, hey, you're like overstepping boundaries, like, hey, the way you treated me is not cool. Like, hey, like all of those things, people do not want to be held accountable. So we see this, people put in like in a pretty box of you go girl, like, I'm so proud of you. Like, it's not your fault. It's their fault. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you got this blah, 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 blah. But then the other side of the coin is like, it's gonna hold you accountable for your bullshit. Mm. No, we don't see that at all. It's like, it's just always like the positive quotes, like the pink, just like put in a like a pretty box of like, you're doing great. But then like the other side of the coin is it's like having those like boundaries in place. And when you start saying no, and putting up your boundaries, people like, Mm. well, that's mean. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, the fuck it isn't like, it's not mean. It's just me saying that I'm not okay with what you're doing, period. End of story. But people are not comfortable having those discussions because we only see the shiny part of the coin of like you're doing so great you're amazing blah 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 when in reality when you're fucking up you should also have women that call you out for your bullshit or like the way you're acting like maybe Mm -hmm. you did something mean like maybe you just like didn't operate from like the best place and somebody checking you but the moment that somebody checks you you're like you're tearing other women down. Mm. No, the fuck I ain't. I'm just telling you what the fuck is up. You're like, you're being disrespectful. You're being mean. Like, let's like talk about it. Let's fix your fucking crown. Let's figure out how we can like move past this instead of just sugarcoating and being like, you just had a bad day. But did you? (laughs) You know? Mm. So that's what I have a hard time with. And I think sometimes people like, Carol, like you're being harsh. And I'm like, am I? Or does it just not fit your narrative and it just hurts your ego? Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought this up, actually, because in our podcast, we talk a lot about boundary setting. And we often talk about boundary setting from maybe more of like my narrative, which is like, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I have a hard time setting boundaries Mm -hmm. because setting boundaries to me equates abandonment, like disappointing someone equates Mm -hmm. abandonment. And I think that there's another side that we're not talking about. It's often how people react when you set boundaries. And that's what you're pointing out here, right? It's yes. When you're setting boundaries, sometimes we had a, the people pleasers out there like me who's listening. You got to show yourself some grace too, that setting boundary, maybe the environment that you're practicing boundary setting isn't necessarily the safest environment for you. And mm-hmm. now that I'm hearing this, I do feel like I understand a little bit of what you're saying now. Because you're right. We're pretty open about this at UA. Like one of our value at UA, it's actually in like our value statement, is that we want to disrupt the mean girl culture. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty obvious that we do so by truly embracing inclusivity. And 
I do feel like a lot of the newer artists who are listening to this or those who do rely on building reputation in the industry to find success because our industry is so small, your reputation does matter. Like, especially you want to become an educator or trainer, right? Like it does matter of your influence and your almost like I hate the word but status in the industry but I like to see a more flat parallel kind of or chart or whatever you call it for our industry mm-hmm. rather than a hierarchy <laughs> and I do see a lot of this hierarchy right. behavior is that kind of what you're talking about where the people at the top Yes. And I think we just, there's this weird thing where we like idolize these people. I don't really believe in idolizing anyone personally. You know, when people ask me like, oh, like, who's your biggest like inspiration? And it's always going to be me. And like, the reason why I say that, and this is like not in like a, in a cocky manner at all, Mm -hmm. but I am my biggest inspiration because every promise that I can make for myself, I know that I can keep. And it's up to me to see like that come to fruition. Mm -hmm. It's not up to anyone else. Like I don't look up to anyone I obviously have like people that I look up to, but like I don't idolize Kim K because we only see that one side of it. Like we never see the other side of the coin. We just see what we're presented. But it's more so I had a discussion in my DMs the other day. There is a girl that reached out to me and this is kind of what I'm talking about with like boundaries. People, when you become an educator, people think just because you educate, you should be doing it for free. Mm. If you see my story the other day, I kind of went off about it and People just expect you to like hand things out for free and they have like no concept of time and money. When you don't have concept of like the value of time, you're not going to have the concept of money and like how like that actually goes together. So I told her, I was like, hey, like if you need more information, you can book a call with me. And she's like, that's X amount of money. And I'm like, you think information is free? Because it ain't. It, it's not free, right? right? But she was so taken back that it was like, hey, no, like this is my cap. This is how we are going to proceed forward. And she was like, mind blown that I said no to her. So it's, it's more so the younger girls that are coming into the industry mm-hmm. and they're like, nobody ever says no to them. Nobody ever checks them. It's just they like, think that they like come in here and it's all like you know rainbows and butterflies and then when you say no it's like she's mean Mm. am I mean or am I just saying that that's like my limit like there's this weird misconception that we're like supposed to like you know sit in a circle around a bonfire in full moon or titties out singing like manifestation songs I'm like where the hell did that come from like I just like don't understand it at all (laughs) Yeah, I think we actually did a podcast recently (laughs) on competition. And we talked about how we believe competition is extremely healthy. And I think it's sometimes woman does this thing, like I'm obviously overgeneralizing here, but often we see that because of our nurturing nature or something where we feel almost ashamed, like we're raised in a culture where we feel ashamed if we're openly competitive. Mm hmm. But being competitive, especially in a business world, it's part of the business. It's what moves the industry forward. But as to overcompensate our guilt that we feel maybe, we act super nice. And that niceness isn't always authentic. And I think people often misunderstand the difference between kind and nice. I think nice is a signal. It's a performance. Mm -hmm. Kind is a value, right? Mm -hmm. Kindness isn't always saying yes kindness if anything kindness is setting boundary kindness is being clear kindness is saying i am willing to give this much and that's my boundary and then the rest i will have to charge for it but 
for some messed up reason, our culture has taught us that we need to be nice. It's so weird because I swear, like it's only like with women. Like we're put yeah. in this weird box. Okay, so think of like female rappers, female artists. There's always some feud going on between them, not being nice, not being exclusive or inclusive. You don't see that with men. Like if I don't like mess with you or if I don't like right. you know associate myself with you, it's not considered anything besides like you're just minding your own business. But when it comes to female, it's like oh they didn't want to collaborate on a song like she's whatever whatever like it just goes down this like weird like rabbit hole that we're meant to be a certain way when that's just like not the case and like i don't know where that came from i don't like it i'm not here for it if i invite you into my circle and into my piece into like my life you also need to be able to contribute and a lot of the times people have a problem with that because like you cannot fucking come in the circle empty-handed that's not how it works been in the industry for too long and just in general as a person, you should really be practicing you know, going off topic, but just surrounding yourself with people that actually provide value and not just people that only want to take, take, take. If you're going to go and take something, you need to be able to contribute. If you cannot contribute with knowledge, you're going to have to contribute with money. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's one of the book that I really like. It's one that I bring up all the time in our team meeting and it's called Play Nice But Win. Mm. And there is something to be said, like... I told you earlier that I came from a very male dominant world. Mm -hmm. I came from professional poker. Competition is the name of the game. So mm -hmm. I feel like men can take tens of thousands of dollars off my friends, vice versa. And we're still friends after. And I think that that kind of shaped me and my values in competition and understanding that nothing is personal and it just makes me a better player the next time. And I learn from a mistake. I call it tuition. You know, I just say, I just pay my tuition to get better at the game. Right. But I think in a very female dominant industry, which is something a lot of this is actually very new to me because coming into this world, I was just like, oh, some things that people say, I think that are overgeneralization. But unfortunately, some of the stereotypes that people have about female dominated industry are true and i think that's because we need to like evaluate our values and understanding like are those our values or are those passed down by other people that we haven't even vetted that they say that these are the rules of the games that you have to play by but who is deciding these rules a hundred percent and i think that's too like I, I always say this to like all my students like it's not personal it's business the moment that you're able to take emotion out of your business and the decisions that go into your business whether it's people saying no to you whether it's people not maybe being nice to you it, it doesn't matter what it is the newer generation like everyone is hella sensitive like i'm just gonna say it people are not like kind of what i said before people are not used to being told no People are not used to being said like, hey, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. So I think the quicker you're able to understand that it's not personal, it's business. I think the quicker you're kind of able to like shift the narrative to and understand that when people say no to you or when people don't agree with you, it's just that like nothing more, nothing less. It's not that people hate you. It's not that people don't like you. It's the answer is just no, period. There's nothing more to it. Versus a lot of the times I think when you get a no for an answer, they're like, oh my God, like, is she mad at me? No, girl, trust me, like, I don't care that much. It's just no, like, that's all it is. So I, I feel like if we're able to understand that, I like maybe just talk more about it. People know that, like, it's okay to say no also and put themselves in the other person's shoe. Yeah, 
Right. I've had so many conversations in my DMs over years where this for somebody, whoever it is, is messaging me over and over and over. We're having great conversations. And then right when you set that boundary and you say, hey, this is getting to a point where if I share any more, it devalues the education that other students have paid mm-hmm. for. They're gone. They don't talk to you anymore. And it could be someone who is always liking your post, always commenting, always in your DMs trying to have conversations. And the second you put your foot down, I just can't believe it. Pretty bizarre. And I try to have like a really soft, nice approach about it. But You're probably yeah, it, like one of the nicest people that I know. I know. You're oh my gosh. always so kind. <laughs> no. Like even if like world is oh burning gosh. down, you're like, but we had a great time. That would be you. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, I'll help you guys get through the fire, I guess, maybe. (laughs) I mean, you just have to set your boundaries. And I mean, no matter how nice you do it, no matter how upfront, hardcore you are about saying no or how sweet you are, people still mistreat being told Mm -hmm. no. And I always try to soften it really nice. I say I don't want to devalue the education others have paid for with Mm -hmm. me by sharing with you for free because that's really not fair but also too like sometimes like you don't even have to explain shit to anyone like right. I think that's I what think like that's so really drives me nuts too it's like people <laughs> when I say no it's like I need to have like, an essay for you as to why my answer is no the answer Whole is just reason. no end of story nothing more yeah I mean, the thing is, like, you just say no with no explanation and people are upset about it. I say no with an explanation of not devaluing, like, other students who paid me money mm-hmm. and people are still upset with it. So what does explanation really do at the end of the day? It makes me think it's going to go over better, but it doesn't always. And that's unfortunate. Right. Just wasting your time. <laughs> and then there's me who can't say no. So then I become resentful. And so I think that it's funny that, like, all three of us actually has a little bit of a different right. approach because of my whatever upbringings and all this my value makes it so hard for me to say no but I'm seeing that the more I'm saying no the better it's been for my mental health it acts as a filter for the people around me as well those who can respect my boundary knows that a relationship with me is vice versa I would also respect your boundary it's a process of gaining trust but listening to your story Emery that reminded me another on the topic of controversial, <laughs> unpopular opinion, I have one. I have one. I don't often have one that's about like so much about people, but this one is about people. I think I what I dislike, even I think it's similar to what you're talking about here, Carol, but it's like the other side of it is I dislike people with influence in our industry uses their influence as ammunition. Mm-hmm. Like, Whoa, okay. Because what just reminded me what you're saying, Emery, there is like, oh, these people like they like my post, they engage in my content. People with influence in this industry sometimes understands how much influence they have. And also it's a human psychology thing. It's a psychological warfare that they play with you where one day they are liking all the things that you're posting, commenting, all the things you're saying. The second you set boundary, they would draw that from you. They were just like, this is what you get with me. And the moment you become disagreeable, you don't deserve that anymore. And that's something that rubbed me so wrong. Because <laughs> it's such an ego-driven thing. It's okay. just like fits the person's like ego and that narrative. It's like people are not like just like looking at the bigger picture. And that's kind of where communication comes mm. in. And like what I'm starting to notice too, the older that I get is people would rather shy away from having hard conversations than not having a conversation at all. And then just things just fizzle out. It's weird. Like you don't know what the hell happened. And people would just not 
rather say anything than say something and possibly resolve the problem at hand. And like, that's, I don't like that. And that's something that I'm learning about myself too. I always feel a lot better when I'm able to just communicate of how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling that way, and just see if the problem can be resolved. And obviously it depends on how you go about it. I am loud on social media and I see like I bark a lot, but at the end of the day, like if you're kind to me and like if we can figure out, like if there's ever a problem, I'm not going to be an asshole to you and be like, well, you're this and that. Like, let's chat about it if you're comfortable and move forward from that. I wish we had more hard conversations because the outcome really can be beautiful when you're able to put differences aside and just see both sides of the coin of whatever the issue is. But I think it comes down Mm -hmm. to communication and just people, they don't know how to talk anymore. Maybe it's the online age or whatever, but it's just easier to talk behind a screen than actually, you know, like face to face or picking up a phone or just, you know, sending voice notes or whatever the case might be of what the problem is -hmm. yeah so definitely communication i agree carol it has been such a joy hanging out with you today and of course cheryl and i wish that we could keep you on here for hours and hours and hours and hours but we can't (laughs) so to wrap up today's chat do you want to do a rapid q a sure Perfect. Well, Cheryl, you know the drill. I'll have you ask a bunch of questions to Carol and Carol, just answer as rapidly as you can and go. All right. (laughs) Let's put the fire to work. Okay. So Carol, what's one thing that you want every struggling artist to know? That it doesn't get better, but you get better. I love that. (laughs) I really love that. That was really good. Next, if you can go back in time three years ago, what would you say to yourself? Honestly, I think what I would say to myself is it's cheesy, but, you know, whatever goals and whatever dreams that you do write down, you can achieve them as long as you actually have an action plan behind it and a mission on how to achieve them. Mm, That's a good one. Okay, so what's one change you hope to see in the lash industry? Everyone raise their fucking prices. The hell? Let's go. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Last question. If you can lash any celebrity, who would it be? Celine Dion. I love her. I know she's like classic, but I like grew up listening to her music. So I would lash Celine Dion. Yeah. Wow. My grade (laughs) nine, grade 10, when my mom used to drive us to school, she only had one CD in her car and it was Celine Dion. So that's all we listened to. <laughs> all right. That's all for this episode of Untamed. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at untamedartistry.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, as your study buddy, we are always here for you. Don't hesitate to send us a DM at untamed.artistry.